Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Today I'm speaking to Abu Dhabi resident Sarah Mumtaz about having a daughter with Down syndrome and in fiercely fighting for her little Amani, finding the true meaning of inclusion, representation, and value. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you, Anne? I'm good. I'm very good. Um, So today we're talking about models of determination, people of determination. You have an adorable toddler, Amani. How old is she? Amani's almost 18 months old. She'll be 18 months on the 2nd of June. Okay. Um, And yes, we think she's rather adorable as well. Thank you very much. She's, uh, she has Down syndrome. Right. Is this something you found out immediately after she was born? Or does it take a bit of time? Interesting story. Um, to sort of give you the, the, the shorter version, actually what happened was during my pregnancy, when I was around about 11 weeks pregnant, when I, you know, you go in for a particular scan that measures the measurement of the, um, the neck um, on the fetus. So at that point, everything was fine. And because of my age, they give you like a range of the the chances. I don't like to call it a risk. I prefer to use the the word chance of uh, the likelihood um, that you may have a a baby with Down syndrome. And then after they'd done my test, it was, I mean, I think my age, it was around about 2%. And then after they'd done the test, it was just under 0.02%. So everything was absolutely fine. Um, and then they said, oh, why don't you do these blood tests, you know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't really explain what they were for. So I'd done the blood test. Um, and I mean, my, my daughter is 25 years old. So I've got a, a daughter who's 25. So it's a huge gap or almost 25. She'll be 25 on the 30th of this month. So it was a huge gap in between, you know, the two pregnancies. So I was sort of considered as a, as a first time pregnancy. So all of these kind of tests went around back then. Um, so I just kind of went with the flow and I was like, okay, let's do it, you know. And then I traveled to London because I wanted to go and see my my family. Um, and then I got a message from my doctor at the time who basically asked when I was coming back and what's going on. Um, and she said, I'm really sorry, I've got some devastating news. Um, it's come back positive for trisomy 21, which is Down syndrome, which I knew absolutely nothing about at the time. Um, and the way the news was delivered to me in such a negative um, really devastating way. Uh, it, it completely changed my world around, you know. Um, and unfortunately, my doctor at the time, because I was in the UK, had said to me, well, you know what, you're, you're in the UK, you can actually um, terminate this pregnancy, you can't do it in the UAE. Why don't you pop along and, and have a termination, which was, I mean, just, just outrageous. Um, so obviously devastated at the time and um, reached out to a few support groups in the UK to try and understand what was going on. And I contacted um, an association called the Down Syndrome Association. And the lady answered the phone and I just burst out into tears. 
And this was literally, I think, the day after I'd, I'd been given the news. I'd not told any of my family there except for my brother. And, you know, she was like, well, what, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And I explained to her, I've, I've been told that my baby may have Down syndrome. And I've just, you know, I'm, I'm newly pregnant. And the lady said to me, you know, just to show you a complete change of attitude and approach to this whole kind of, you know, topic that we're talking about. She said, well, first of all, congratulations. And nobody had said that to me. And, and it completely lifted my spirits. And then she started to talk to me. Um, and everything had changed at that point. I started to understand what is Down syndrome, look at it with a very objective kind of uh, perspective and basically do some research on it. So when I came back to the UAE, we then moved to, to Abu Dhabi. We were in Dubai at the time. Um, so I changed hospitals and I didn't tell the new hospital what was going on in terms of the, the actual blood test. And throughout my whole pregnancy, everything was absolutely fine. So I thought, well, maybe this is, it could be wrong. You know, you hear about these things. And coincidentally, um, my brother-in-law and his wife had the same thing had happened to them where they had a positive test result, but when the baby was born, baby didn't have Down syndrome. So I think kind of having the hope of it may be wrong, um, let's just see what happens. And then through going throughout the pregnancy, everything was absolutely fine. No issues, baby was growing fine, the heart was fine. And as you know, when you progress in pregnancy, you have different scans to kind of look at the different organs and how they're developing, absolutely no issues. Even when she was born, no issues. They didn't say anything. It was only the day after um, when the consultant came to examine her and um, they had an issue with, with her heart when, when she had her heart examined. So we went down to see the, the, the pediatric cardiologist. Um, and that's at, at that point, you know, we, we were told that she's got heart failure, some issues with her heart um, without going into all the technicalities of it. And they said, you know, we, we think that she may possibly have Down syndrome. So we're going to be doing some blood tests. So they've done the blood tests. And a couple of weeks later, it came back and it, and it was positive. Um, but by that point, you know, I had a little bit more information. Again, unfortunately, the way the news was presented to me and, and you know, it, it's just so negative. It really is. And, and then when I look, I mean, honestly, Anne, if I had known then what I know now, I would have saved myself a lot of grief and heartache and tears and sleepless nights and anxiety and stress. Because the reality is she's just like any other baby. You know, she needs love. She needs care. She, she, she does. She's got her own personality, her own characteristics. The only thing that is different is that she just might take a little bit longer to get things done. I mean, that's just the reality of it in terms of some of her milestones and, and, and development, you know, timelines. Um, and then also the fact that she had to have uh, open heart surgery to, to rectify the, the, the issue that she was born with has also pushed her back a few months. But, you know, I mean, the resilience, the determination, just it's just... I, I just really can't describe it into words. It's, it, it's, it's something that as a person who knew nothing about Down syndrome, didn't have any interaction with anybody that had Down syndrome, whether it be directly or indirectly, I've learned so much, you know, and some of the lessons that I've learned, I, I literally didn't even knew existed. Mm -hmm. So that, that's it in a nutshell. So, you know, we, we didn't know for sure. We had a, feeling it could be the case throughout the pregnancy, no issues. 
um, other than obviously at the, the initial stages with the blood test. Um, and then, you know, that, that's how it, how it happened. And, and yeah. Have you had that's any, where we are. have you got, has she been in any sort of daycare situations or have you had any issues? Are you keeping, is she at home? Like, how do you? Well, basically what happens is, um, it doesn't just apply to children with Down syndrome. It, it, it you know, it can apply to children with, with other sort of chromosomes, so-called abnormalities, as they call it, or other conditions that they're born with. Um, what they do is they, they, they put you on a so-called early intervention plan, which is not explained very well. Um, so when I was first told about the news, or when, once, when it was first confirmed to me, I was told that, <coughs> excuse me, She's going to need physiotherapy. She's going to need occupational therapy. She's going to need speech therapy. She might need therapy for feeding because she might have an issue with the feeding. In some babies with Down syndrome, due to the hypotonia and the kind of low muscle tone that they have, they find it quite difficult to feed, which we had that issue with Amani. Um, and, you know, she's going to have all these type of therapies. It's going to be ongoing. And basically, she's not going to be able to do this, 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 and this. Again, extremely negative. Um, and we're going to put her on a so-called early intervention plan, but you've got to figure it out yourself. So, which is very different to some other parts of the world where it's a much more structured approach, you know? So this early intervention plan is, uh, we started off with physiotherapy. We had the misfortune, of course, having all of this happen during the whole COVID period. Right. So she started off her therapies and then kind of a couple of months in, um, we were in the midst of COVID, so we had to stop. And yeah, so to today, she has physiotherapy, occupational therapy, she has speech therapy, and she also has uh, feeding therapy as well. Okay. And it sounds like one of the things that's driven you nuts in this whole thing is everyone saying what you always hear. This is going to be terrible. This is what you won't be able to do. This is what she won't be. This is why you're not like everyone else. This is why, like, it sounds to me like you're <laughs> wanting to change that and you're probably not talking to her like that at all. So how are you, how are you working to overcome Absolutely. that? I mean, you know, it, it took me a very long time to, to come out and let people know. So, and, and I'll, I'll just talk about it a little bit, just to give you an idea of, of, you know, what kind of mental state, if you like, or emotional state I was in. I was extremely guilty. I thought this is all my fault. You know, I've had a, I've, I've had a baby in my early 40s. What am I doing? Um, and she wasn't a planned pregnancy. You know, we, we were actually, my husband and I were actually planning a life of kind of retiring a little bit early and traveling the world and, you know, having fun. And then, you know, she popped along. So that's all changed. But, well, we'll just take her along with us. Now, that's just how things have changed. But I was very, very ashamed, very guilty. Um, didn't really understand why this had happened to me. Um, again, because of the stigma that Down syndrome has and the lack of awareness that people have with it, um, I didn't really know how to, to let people know. And, you know, babies a lot of people will say well she doesn't look like she's got down syndrome you can't really see the features which is the case in a lot of babies um with down syndrome you, you you can't necessarily tell by looking at their facial features um so i didn't say anything for a few months because i was struggling with trying to come to terms with it myself um and then the more research i done the more i kind of looked into it i, I realized that hang on a second there, there's a woman who's just newly married, I mean, when I say woman, she was 18. She had a baby with Down syndrome. 
And then I found um, another family who, again, lady in her early 20s had a baby with Down syndrome. Um, and then they went on to have subsequent kids that didn't have Down syndrome. You know, it's just so much that you learn from the wider society. And when you reach out and you, you really try and look about what's happening um, where you come to realize that it's just one of those things, you know, from a medical perspective, they still don't know what causes Down syndrome. The only thing that they know is that the chances increase as you get older. Having said that, 80% of all the, the babies that are born in the world with Down syndrome are born to women under the age of 35. And that's a fact. And the reason that is, is because obviously younger women are having more babies. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that happen. You know, I'm, I'm a person, I believe in, in God. Um, and, and, and I believe that this is something that, you know, truly is something that he, he's blessed us with, um, which was difficult at the time. So I wanted to do something to change the perception of people that were just like myself, you know. Yeah. They exist. And it's not just people with Down syndrome. They exist. People with all kind of so-called, you know, disabilities. Again, I don't like to use that term. I prefer to use the term varying abilities. Yeah. And I think the one thing that really, um, really made me kind of come out and, and, and really want to pursue this is that my background, I work as a in the facilities management profession. Um, and I, I host a series of, of webinars with an organization called uh, IWFM, who are the Institute of Workplace and Facilities Management. Um, and I'm on the committee here in, in, in the UAE. And myself and a colleague of mine, we actually were hosting webinars throughout the, um, you know, the pandemic because we couldn't have live events. And I was very keen to do one that focused on and people of determination, which is, you know, what, what, what is the term that we use here in the UAE? And a lady that we had on the panel, um, a lady called um, M, M. Ray, she has a son that's got a condition called Angelman syndrome, hmm. which I've never heard of. Um, and she came on the panel and she was basically talking about, you know, her life and, and how we as a facilities management industry can help sort of better the quality of, of life for her and her son. And the things that she said just moved me. I mean, she's an absolutely incredible lady, but it was just so, it touched a certain chord. And I thought, you know what? What she's doing is remarkable. She, she, she actually managed to light up the Burj Khalifa um, back in 2000, I think it was 19 or 20, I'm not sure, um, in blue to basically raise awareness for Angelman syndrome, because it's such a rare condition. I think it's around about one in 20,000 babies. Um, to, to talk about this, you know, people are people who have the condition live in our society. They live in all different countries. They come from all different nationalities. Um, and we need to make others aware of it. And that really touched me. And then from there, I was able to say, well, you know what, let's what, what can we do to to make things better? Um, they, you know, people with, with Down syndrome or any other, you know, ability, disability, however you want to refer to it, they, they do exist. They live in our society. They need to be re represented. They need to be included. Um, but more importantly, they need to be valued. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was really important for me because we have, you know, in terms of structure and infrastructure for education and healthcare, um, you know, so-called inclusion policies, which 
the reality is they're not really in, that inclusive. But you know, that's that that's another podcast. And yeah. Um, but my 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 perspective on this was I really wanted to focus on value, um, and how we can we can show society that everybody is valued, um, and everybody contributes, and therefore everybody should be represented. So. I started working on a few projects and, um, you know, one of the projects, of course, was reaching out to a barefaced modeling agency, a, a phenomenal woman, um, Vera, who, you know, literally has changed the, the lives of, of all the people that, that she's, um, she's embraced under this project. She really, really has. And that's how that came about. That's amazing. So um, she is a, your daughter is a model. Like she's a model, she's because they've launched a models of determination division and your little girl is a model. And, and like, I she's love like the model. Like she's a model, <laughs> she's a model, you know? She is. She, well, she's one of many. Um, I'm happy to say we've got, we've got a, a large number of kids. I mean, what Vera's done. So cool. I, I basically was introduced to Vera. I have a cousin who's a successful model. And um, I, I spoke to him about this. I said, you know, why, why aren't the talent agencies here or the modeling agencies here, including um, people of all different types of, you know, appearances? What, what's happening? You know, we see it in other parts of the world. We don't see it here. How can we change this? And he was quite keen. He said, look, you know, speak to this lady. She's the head of Bareface Agency. Have a chat with her. And I did. And she welcomed it. She, she, she said that is something that she was actually quite keen to do. Um, she has a personal connection with it as well, which, which makes it even more, kind of resonates even more with her, which is fantastic. So she really had a, she knew where I was coming from, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and then she just completely transformed the idea and, and developed the division, developed the different, you know, um, kind of entities within the division. So we've got babies, we've got kids, we've got teenagers, we've got adults. Um, and, you know, the, when it actually comes to really materialize is when you're kind of driving down the road and you, you see a bill, big billboard with one of the kids kind of displayed up there or you open up a magazine and there they are or you know you're watching a tv advert and there they are and that's when you know we can really say yes we've done it you know yeah um, and I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to seeing that and the, the feedback that vera has been getting has all been extremely positive uh, from her clients and from the industry which is absolutely amazing amazing and what's really yeah what sort of things move as, as she gets older, what sort of things are you think, like, have you got ideas of other things that you're sort of going to work on to promote this sort of visibility, normalizing all that? I mean, just to give you an idea. Um, at the moment, I'm doing a project uh, with uh, Sheikh Chakud Medical City and Abu Dhabi University. And we are redesigning the pediatric re rehabilitation department. So because she goes for physio, um, at least twice a week in that particular facility. I mean, she's obviously not alone. There's other kids that come in there. Kids, not just with Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, they have other issues um, in terms of, you know, how they were born, what, what, whatever conditions they have with any particular limbs, some kids that have had accidents, whatever the case may be. And they're there for a very, very long term. And the, the facility itself is not the kind of most inspiring place that you'd want to be, you know, um, so again, having the FM background, I said, hmm, how can we make this better? So I reached out to Abu Dhabi University, um, explained to them what I was planning on doing. They absolutely loved the idea, introduced me to the um, faculty from the, the kind of interior design department. 
they got their students down and they've just completely revamped the place. So the design has been done. It's been approved. The hospital absolutely love it. Um, so much so that they've asked the students to do the same for their pediatric wards. And we're just now literally in the face, actually, I'm having a meeting with them on Wednesday to, to find out when we can start the implementation. So we'll be doing like, a, you know, it's going to be huge media coverage, what it looked like before, what it looks like after. You know, that's just one of the, the projects that I'm working on. Yeah. Um, I'm working on a couple of other things related to education and, and inclusivity. I'm also working on a few things that are related to play um, in terms of, you know, I mean, the best way to put this really is, you know, from an employment perspective, as, as we get older and we go out into the workforce, um, and I'm not sure about you, Anne, but it's very, very seldom that I walk into somewhere and I see a person of determination, whether they're in a wheelchair, um, you know, Down syndrome, for example, things that you can recognize as uh, someone that, that, that is, you know, people of determination. You don't really see that in the workplace. And then I think to myself, why is that? Why are they not working? Why are they not being employed? You know, they're, they're just as capable, if not more than capable, as uh, so-called able people to do particular jobs. Why are we not incorporating this? And then when you look back at it, you think to yourself, well, hang on a second, let's go back to the school system. Um, if we don't have true inclusion in schools, in, in an environment where children are playing and learning together, how would we then expect them to grow up as adults and, and basically embrace each other? It doesn't make any sense. So this is one of the reasons why I'm working on trying to look at concepts on how to truly have inclusivity at schools, meaning that, you know, there are going to be some children that do require particular special needs, and I appreciate that. But the majority of children can work in an environment where it is, it's basically very diverse and it's very mixed. Um, and we can bring in the support to help them. I mean, I remember when I was at school, we would have different levels of education for things like maths, English and, and science. So people that were very, very good at maths were in a particular group. People that were kind of in between were in another group. People that needed more support were in a different group. But during playtime, during mealtime, during break time, we were in the same environment. We worked together, we played together, and it wasn't something abnormal to see. You know, when you look at a child now um, in a wheelchair, everybody kind of looks at that child because you don't necessarily see that very often. And I, I want to make it a very normal thing for other children to see other children as being different. And it's fine. You know, it's normal. Just like you'd see, you'd see a kid with blonde hair and blue eyes and a kid with brown hair and brown eyes. You know, it's not something that is remarkable and it shouldn't be the case for children of determination. They, they need to be in society, included, accepted, valued and just just recognized, you know, and, and rather than kind of be pushed to the side. So that's one of the other things that I'm, I'm, I'm very keen on working on. Um, and you know, that kind of also stretches into my background a little bit and kind of looking at play areas that include kids of all types of abilities and you know things like that because isn't it still that if when it comes time for Amani to go to school you're not going to just be able to send her to any school you're going to have to find I mean hopefully things will be further along but it's not an automatic that you could get her into a, into school is it well in in theory it is in in theory all all schools um have a so-called inclusion policy and government schools here because Amani is actually a UAE national. Okay. So government schools here have that provision. 
Okay. Um, interestingly, private run schools don't. That's what I was um, about. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I've talked to parents before who've like been begging. They, just they, they don't. I mean, you're absolutely right, Anne. They have a so-called inclusion policy and standard and all the rest of it. But the reality is that um, if, if a school does embrace a child with a particular special need, um, you know, they, they have their sort of special needs uh, support workers or kind of assistant teachers or assistants that you would be expected to pay for um, to come and basically support the child, which, you know, it, again, it doesn't make any sense to me. If, if, if you have a kid with any particular special need, let's take, let's take, for example, a child that's dyslexic. You wouldn't then say, well, you know what, we're not going to take this kid who's dyslexic because he's going to slow down the rest of the class. Um, half the time, you probably wouldn't know until he does go to school. And, and it's something that has been made aware by the teacher. But you wouldn't dismiss a child that's got dyslexia um, purely because you can't teach him at the same pace that you could teach another child, which is some of the things that, that you know, we're looking to improve. Yeah. From, yeah. from uh, just one of the other things that I wanted to mention, and if I can, yeah. from the... Um, the support groups that, that I've been introduced to within the Down syndrome community, um, I met a, a very inspirational young lady called May, and she, she's actually got, um, I think he's seven years old, a, a young boy with Down syndrome, and she's a, a nurse, nursery school manager. Um, and she's taken a lot of time and focus to look at inclusion within her particular nursery and train her staff and, and so on and so forth. And it's people like her that's really changed the, the approach to it. Um, obviously, it's very personal to her because she's got a, got a son um, that she needs to basically provide this for. Um, but it, it's really changed the concept and the way that people approach it. Because as a sort of education professional, she can then come in and say, look, it is doable. We can do this. And this is how we do it. And um, Myself and her have actually um, started up a support group for parents, which we've called Extra Blessings. Um, extra because of the term that obviously chromosome 21 is a, you know, people with Down syndrome have an additional copy of that. Um, and we are here to sort of provide support for kids, uh, sorry, for parents that have just been recently had a diagnosis of Down syndrome, whether it's in their pregnancy or newborn babies, mm -hmm. because we know there is a particular need um, for that support group because they just basically don't exist and all the negative kind of uh, information that you get from I'm, I'm sorry to say healthcare professionals um, we can actually come and say look the reality is like this so you can find us on Instagram and you can find us on Facebook and anyone can reach out to us we're there to support and, and we're, we're trying to push that also um, to the wider community and I'm hopefully going to be having some discussions with some of the medical institutions to see how we can provide that support for them to pass on to their patients. So it would have been a much better situation for me if at the time I'd been given that diagnosis, somebody had turned to me and said, look, Sarah, this is a support group called Extra Blessings. Get in touch with them. I'm sure they can help you through this. Yeah. It wasn't available. You know, and Amani's only 18 months old. It wasn't available when, when May's son was born, who's, you know, he's only seven years old. So unfortunately, not much has changed in between. So this is what we're trying to do. Okay. I can't wait to see what you're going to do because I, I feel you're, you're determined and it's amazing because you need parents like you and those other parents need to hear congratulations too, right? Well, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the congratulations side of it is great. It's just more of a thing where I think we, we feel like 
you know, I, I look at Amani and, you know, I say to her, honestly, I wouldn't change you for the world, but I will change the world for you. You know, that, that, that kind of resonates with me a lot because, like I said, I believe in God. She's a blessing. It's happened to us for a reason. You know, we were chosen for a reason. And maybe that reason is that we can actually shed light on this topic. Um, we can go out there and kind of, you know, do something to benefit society, to bring people together as one. When you look back at the, the strides that the human race has taken, you know, um, collectively, if you like, when we look back and we think, well, we've done really, we've, we've made a lot of progress in terms of equality and, you know, between men and women, equality in terms of nationality, race and religion. We still have work to do. But look back 20, 30 years, we, we've come a long way, to be fair. But we've not done that with people of determination, people with varying abilities. We've not really done that. And they exist of all nationalities, of all religions, of all genders. Um, but they've kind of been put on the back burner. And, and a very interesting fact for you, Anne, um, through the research that I've done, I've actually discovered that general population, if you look at the world's population, around about just under 20% of people on this planet have some sort of, you know, what would be termed a disability. Okay. So whether it's a physical disability, whether it's an intellectual disability, something that they were born with, something that's, you know, after an accident has caused them to have whatever disability it is, it's one in five people. That's a lot of people, you know? So where are they? How come we don't see them? Um, some of the so-called disabilities may not be visible, as I said, but they have to be included they have to be represented and more importantly, they have to be valued. And that's just what we're trying to do because we can see the value in our kids. And I promise you one thing, and I mean, regardless of what myself or any of the other parents are doing, um, what our kids are doing and, and teaching us and showing us is, is, is just tenfold in comparison. It really is. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. So I can't wait to see what you're going to do. And thank you to you and Imani and we'll keep We'll keep in touch. Maybe we'll have another conversation about inclusive, you know, include, keep it going because it's a, cool. yeah, it's really changed since I moved here in 2008, for sure. It's amazing to see. Right. I know when you're, you're experiencing it, it's a whole different ballgame, right? So. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just, just the fact that the term people of determination is something that is, has replaced disabled or handicapped is I just think it's just phenomenal. It just, it just leads the world. I mean, you know, the, the logo, I don't know if you've seen the logo for people of determination. It's not a, a kind of um, somebody who's sat in a wheelchair. It's a wheelchair that's moving, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's, it's in motion, <coughs> excuse me. So there's a lot of things that the UAE have done um, from a leadership position, from a, you know, government infrastructure position that they've really set the stage for the world to follow. And, and, and we're hoping that we can, do our part to basically continue that momentum. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for telling us about it. We'll keep watching. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. I, I'm very, very grateful. Thanks, Anne. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.